Welcome to Future of Tech, hosted by Avishai Sharlin, Division President of Amdocs Technology. In this podcast, Avishai sits down with some of the most innovative minds in technology to learn how they are disrupting the present and what kind of impact they hope to have in the future. From the machine learning programs that are solving some of the world's biggest problems to what AI can do to help fight biological bottlenecks in human thinking, no topic is off limits. So sit back, relax, and maybe take some notes because what you hear on this show might just be a glimpse into the future. We can be so passionate about tech that we can get caught up in its concepts and capabilities. But what is at the core of all technology? Our guest today, Mark Potter, the Chief Information Officer at Optus, says that great technology is the result of people. Mark's fascinating career evolved from studying civil engineering to eventually working in the banking and telecommunications industries. The through line for him has always been a desire to come up with solutions to challenges. Tune in for more of Mark's story and learn how he keeps perspective on what he values the most. Enjoy this episode. Future of Tech is brought to you by Amdocs Tech. Amdocs Tech is Amdocs's R&D and technology center paving the way to a better connected future by creating open, innovative, best-in-class products and continuously evolving the way we work, learn, and live. To learn more about Amdocs, visit the Amdocs technology page on LinkedIn. So, I'm very happy to host today Mark Porter, CIO of Optus, in a new episode of Future of Tech. Hello, Mark. Hello, it's great to be here. Fantastic being in Israel too. It's the first time I'm hosting someone from down under, so uh, it will be also uh, a joyful experience for me. We're going to speak about Optus, we're going to speak about the CIO role, and maybe uh, obviously about your uh, journey and experience. Let's start maybe with a few words about Optus. Yep, been with Optus now for about seven months. Uh, My background has been primarily banking and banking technology. It's interesting how similar uh, banks and telcos are in terms of the technology opportunities and also the technology challenges. I think uh, Optus is a real challenger telco within the Australian marketplace with a lot of innovation and drive and really looking to set new opportunities, new pathways, and really excited to now be getting on board, beginning to learn what I don't know, yeah. uh, and hence spending time with Amdocs to, to help fill in some of those gaps. It's been a great time so far with the Optus team. Great. I myself also spent a few years in the banking, so we can uh, chat about this a bit. And and you're right in the sense that complexity and size are the same. I'm not sure about mainframes, which are very dominant in the uh, financial sector. And uh, how did you find the telco industry as a whole? Is it uh, interesting, appealing? Yeah, in reflecting, and it might be part of the DNA of telcos, which my hypothesis is telcos have really moved infrastructure forward and banks have been in software for maybe a fair bit longer. So the digital services maturity within banking is generally, I think, higher than what it is in the, the telco area. But someone that's now coming from a banking environment, I think there's lots of opportunities to bring 
software development paradigms, the way we think about customer-centric design or design thinking, uh, and even through to things like resilience and software resilience into telcos, is seeing a lot of opportunity for that. Now, let's go one step backward. You've been CIO, as you mentioned, for seven months before that, uh, working many years in the banking industry. But if I take you to the beginning of the journey, yes. how did it all start? How did it all start? I was a bright-eyed university kid uh, studying civil engineering in Sydney, really focused on bridge design. But not the Ethernet bridges, right? No, no, Real no, bridges. no, no. These are <laughs> trucks and cars and trains and whatnot. And then, sadly, I learned that most bridges you select off a two-by-two matrix. What's the span? What's the load? Select the bridge. And so there wasn't a whole lot of engineering. There wasn't the level of problem solving that I was hoping for. Uh, And so I interviewed with a number of management consulting firms and and of it still thought, I don't really know what this means, but I'll give it a go. And I think that's sort of now through and through in my DNA, that sort of give it a go spirit and, and probably why I'm also with Optus, which is very similarly aligned around that. So I jumped into consulting, spent a number of years with Accenture, joined a client out of that, joined the Commonwealth Bank. And then every three or four years within the Commonwealth Bank, whenever I was getting good at my job, it would get swept out from underneath my feet, (laughs) press rewind, and then move into another role. Uh, But that's why I think I stayed with the bank for about 15 years, just had three or four different careers within the bank over that period. And then joined the Singtel Group and Optus. And I think also that opportunity to join the Singtel Group with a career pathway and with a mission rather than a job was really attractive. So I don't know what will be happening in three or four years' time. Hopefully, I'm doing a really good job and that gets swept out from underneath my feet and I move into something else within the group also. Interesting. Now... The first tab that you had into technology was back then or as a kid, you've also played with uh, technology? No, it was really during engineering, during my undergraduate studies in engineering, needing to write computer programs to help model how bridges might deflect and other things like that. So it was really became a, a means to an end in solving engineering problems by being able to code, the, you know, code the logic to solve the problems. I'll come back to this moment in time uh, later on. But now I'd like to understand, you got in, new role, CIO. Can you do some comparison in terms of the role itself between banking and telco as a CIO? Is it the same? It's just the, the, the numbers that are different? or I think as a CIO, I think the great technology is a result of people. Like the paradox is, Great technology is all about the people. And that's absolutely true across banking and telecommunications. So what's really a big focus for me at the moment is on the people. You know, certainly Optus needs to expand its business footprint, find new and take advantage of new business models. To do that, Optus needs to recreate the architecture, technology architecture that enables that. But ultimately getting the architecture is all about the people. It's about the team understanding, buying into the purpose, really strong on a purpose-driven culture. It's about having the right talent in place and in technology, the war for talent is key and critical. It's around having the right um, culture that wraps around that and 
really focus on instilling a customer-centric culture and, and having the teams experience customer feedback firsthand, spending time in shops or double-jacking into calls to really empathise with the customer experience. And, and then also working with our partners. Optus is not doing everything, will never not be, will never be the sole source of talent that mm. we require mm. um, to deliver those sorts of outcomes. So really focused on moving from a very significant number of vendor relationships to a fewer set of real partner relationships instead. So you're very focused on our operating model to deliver then the architecture that meets the expectations of the business and business model. Clear. Now, tell me a bit about the war for talent. I would like to understand a bit more your philosophy. How do you make sure that you're getting the brightest and how do you keep them? Yeah, it, it's a tough question and it's one that I don't think we've found the silver bullet answer to at this point in time. But where Optus is able to really differentiate itself is around its purpose, which is to be Australia's most loved everyday brand with lasting customer relationships. You can see that aspiration in the way that the organization operates. It's a lot more than PowerPoint. It is a marker that people use to decide what they're doing, how they're doing things, what matters, where to set the bar. And typically what I find is that great engineers want to solve real problems and get beyond tech for tech's sake and get into tech for some sort of higher order purpose. And so our purpose is really key to the way that we attract and retain people and creating the opportunities for teams to have that real impact. What we also try to do is ensure that there's room for people to innovate. And so Optus has been doing some great work, recognised at a global level around the application of artificial intelligence within our contact centres. And so ensuring that we're celebrating and publicising the wins that we're having is also key. Within Optus, we have a number of really major strategic initiatives that are really designed to move the dial for the organisation. And they're called dial movers, funnily enough. One of our dial movers is tech talent. And so we're developing specific career pathways we're looking at our graduate intake and how we elevate that and make it much more attractive, how we get the right tools into the hands of our engineers so they're able to have a huge impact. So whether it's sort of culture, purpose, career path, having real impact and removing obstacles, there's a myriad of different things that are in play to help navigate this one and uh, open to any advice too that Amdocs has around it because it's still one that I don't think we've quite cracked. Yeah, I think that you've touched many, many very, very good points. Uh, over here, there is huge fight for talent. Many startups, uh, many lucrative startups, you know, raising tons of money on one end. But you're right, culture, making uh, people feel that it's uh, one family or one goal that you want to, uh, to achieve. It's also about maybe finding the right talents uh, before everyone. So, you know, kind of uh, going to the universities and tapping into the uh, young generation and creating the right feeling, but also the right belonging in terms of uh, people. But I'm not sure that there is magic into it. You know, it's a lot of hard work, a lot of uh, caring. People need to know that you care, which makes a lot of difference. It's not just uh, the recruitment process that you're focusing on. Now, 
you did mention innovation. In, in what way you're cultivating or making sure innovation exists in the organization? Yeah, so um, trying to give teams the space to be able to innovate and get beyond just solving the, the next challenge or burning issue. Getting teams to work together and sort of breaking down some of the internal barriers or silos that may exist. So operating in a much more sort of network team way. Also trying to take as many external influences as possible. Very recently we ran, probably the best way to describe it would be a series of, of sort of te- TED Talk dialogues with other telcos, non-telcos, just with the purpose of removing ourselves from the day-to-day and understand what others are up to. And also um, fostering hackathons and the like, giving people great problems to solve in unique teams to create new opportunities around those. And um, it's funny from those sorts of interactions you know, from my previous life, uh, out of a hackathon we've now launched a very successful trading company, equities trading company. As a result, the hackathons that we've been operating within Optus are now sort of rolling out product and new services within the organization as well. And I, I think that success breeds success. And so when other teams see these innovations being sponsored, becoming something that's having a positive impact, either on our staff or customers, it'll fuel more and more of those sorts of initiatives. Yep. You didn't mention earlier dial movers. Um, yes. I'm, I'm quite sure the more time passes, the less people will understand what dial move uh, <laughs> means. But uh, this is a phenomenon that will uh, probably, you know, the two of us at least uh, still remember what, what does it mean to move a dial. You've mentioned AI. Can you share in what shape and form you are injecting AI into um, the ongoing operation? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, we put a lot of work into artificial intelligence within our contact centers to improve the nature of conversations that we're having with our customers, either um, directly or indirectly through bots, and also looking to bring more AI into measuring software development and looking for opportunities to improve how we do that across the organization as well. You know, we would have all heard the culture execution beat strategy. So we're really focused on improving the execution engine within Optus. We're not short of great ideas, not short of great innovations, but anything that we can do to help improve execution of those ideas will have a huge impact. It's almost the dial mover that enables all other dial movers. And so looking to inject more artificial intelligence into optimizing how we affect change as well. If I need like to, to ask you to close your eyes and Three years from now, where do you see your vision when it comes to the, you know, the IT and everything related to your role? So we're really focused on creating a lot more pace within the organization, initially through simplification and then automation. So I'd like to close my eyes and it's a lot faster to get things done. It's a lot faster to deliver real customer impacts. Again, closing my eyes, I'd love to see all of Optus in support of our customers rather than different parts of the business in support of a customer. I think that when we can bring together the complete customer and its proposition for our customers, we will move toward most loved uh, and so be a lot less siloed, a lot more open. I'd love to see Optus 
creating and participating in ecosystems that go beyond telco, certainly use connectivity as a foundation or a cornerstone to those ecosystems. But with the data that we have accessibility to, with the reach of our customer base, we ought to be participating in ecosystems that go a long way beyond uh, that. And maybe finally, I'd love to see technology as just part of the product and product management. So you can imagine moving from a project management bias that we have at the moment into product management and then the technology is embedded and embraced within the product itself. You know, the distance between a business stakeholder and IT colleague is is a, a lot more blurred than what it has been historically. Perfect. You've mentioned the business yep. and the IT. Yep. Now, in the past, it was, okay, I have a new idea. They went to the CIO. He said, okay, it will take me nine months, 12 months, what have you. Kind of a blocking factor to, to the business people to innovate and move forward. Mm. With current technologies, this is no longer the situation. Mm. And you can support much faster, agile business needs. How is this embedded into your philosophy and daily operation? Yeah. Uh, very recently, we've disaggregated Optus into a number of platforms. So maybe think of auto management as a platform. And around each platform, we have a business lead and a tech lead for each one of those platforms with a co-accountability, if you like, to co-pilot this platform through its life. And so that has began to dismantle the silos that exist between technology and the business and also to enable much more of the sort of platform lifecycle management approach and also starts to share accountability such that there's a lot more interest I don't know, in end of life or end of support or how many applications are part of this platform in order to simplify it to create much more utility value. Is this platform, is it API enabled and something that we could offer to other companies or cross industries? So we've been really putting a lot of time and effort into reconstructing the organization around capabilities. And once dealing in that fashion, this sort of lineal progression of, I don't know, have a requirement, have a specification, hit a brick wall, gets dismantled when you're kind of then in it much more together and focused on the superset of platform accountabilities, whether the technology or business. I see you are very passionate as I am about platforms. We'll touch it in a second, I promise you. But before we go there, I would like to, uh, to understand, you've briefly kind of um, described some of the obstacles we have in, in today's environment when it comes to supporting third parties or supporting open source. How do you make, maintain those always being you know, up to date and not being uh, then dragged into a situation that you're using an obsolete version of what have you? Because mm. this world is constantly changing. How do you make sure that you are uh, always on and, and that you have the latest and, and you're keeping with the pace of creativity in the ecosystem? Yeah, I think it's an area where we've got a, a great deal of focus, but again, not one that we've necessarily cracked fully at this point in time. I think as we move more toward persistent funding, so that the way that funding is allocated and cycles of funding, almost sawtooth funding mechanisms sort of ramping up and ramping down rather than sort of running with a constant base is really important. So working through the right funding mechanism to create this sort of persistent funding 
persistent resourcing, then a persistent capability to keep our assets up to date is a key element of that. Simplification is another key element of that, trying to keep 50 systems all sitting in a utility up to date and contemporary versus a minimum number is is also key. As we automate more of the build chain, then that's sort of reducing more of the demand off that to sort of lessen uh, the challenge that we've got around that as well. So I think there's a variety of levers that we're pulling, we'll continue to, to pull over time. I think also very importantly, being clear on actually where do you want to play? Of those capabilities, what are the ones that you want to acquire as a service? What are the ones where you maybe differentiate and you, you know, it's worth having the ownership, the accountability, the responsibility for managing, developing and keeping that current is key. So I think it depends on the capability. It depends upon what differentiates. depends upon the supply market. There's a variety of different factors involved in managing that one. Yeah, definitely automation is key, as yeah. you mentioned. What we've learned is also there needs to be a fine line between the innovation that you are, quote unquote, allowing your team to every week to change everything yeah. and yeah. to replace it with a newest version of uh, what have you, versus, you know, sticking to an end-to-end approach, which mm. allows you then to stabilize it and, and mm. to make it more resilient. And we've, we've done a lot of work more recently, laying out basically a risk-based approach to change. Yeah. And so if there is a relatively small, contained, innovative change that comes with low risk, that can operate with a set of controls and at a cadence. Yeah. If, however, we're, we're affecting a change with a a greater blast radius, there's more risk, there's more uncertainty, then that operates, if you like, with a superset of controls and with a different cadence around it. Aligning our change practices in a risk-based way is something that the organisation's bought really strongly into and we've seen a a really healthy decline in unplanned incidents as a result, but not with creating gridlock either. So that hasn't been a consequence. We've managed to get the balance closer to, uh, I think, where we can be. Now, in this new brave world of Industry 4.0, one of the topics, so we've mentioned AI, but another topic is uh, IoT. How do you consider IoT? It's, it's, a, it's kind of a conundrum because it's up and down and no one knows exactly where to put his... Uh, do you see it as a growing thing? Do you see it as a, as a moving factor in the industry? Yeah, I think so, particularly on the business side of things okay. and in the enterprise okay. side of things. Um, so we certainly see IoT just growing and growing. In Australia, we've also, within Optus, recently launched a, a new business called Smart Spaces. And uh, you know, that really is about smart houses in the first instance and you know, a lot of interest around businesses and other segments as well. I, I certainly think that it's an opportunity to leverage connectivity but into adjacent markets and certainly something that Optus has stepped into more recently. Now let's come back to what you call the platform conglomerate or, yep. or um, the phenomena of, of platformizing. Two questions. First, maybe walk me through your philosophy about why platform as a whole, as an economy, mm. and then give me your, your touch into Optus. Mm. So I, I think platforms as an economy have kind of broken the economic paradigm of a traditional value chain. And if you think about a platform, and maybe we use 
Netflix as an okay. example, there's not a linear flow of of creating content through to then fulfilling a customer need. So these two sides of the platform, the consumer and supplier can spin separately, that that disconnect. And that creates a really different economic paradigm around that as well, that you can add a new customer and essentially not adding new cost. You can add a new supplier, a new song, and you're really not adding a whole lot of new cost. And so creating that separation of cost from revenue as well, I think is really important and a dynamic of platforms. The other thing around platforms that I find really interesting is if you do add a new customer, you become more attractive for a new supplier. Or if you add a new supplier, you're more attractive for more customers. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost like compound interest, getting back to banking for a moment, that there's this sort of compounding effect of either adding new customers or suppliers that then become stickier and stickier and more valuable and more valuable. And I think that's why the, you know, the market valuations of platform businesses have gone through the roof over yeah. recent years. And if you think about the top 10 companies in the world, the proportion which are platform businesses has probably quadrupled there or thereabouts in the last 10 years. So the economics, the returns of platforms and this ability to break the cycle of input and outcome, I think is really interesting. And so in thinking about Optus as a conglomerate of platform businesses, trying to imagine what would that look like and creating a number of utility capabilities almost within the organization is the way that we're, we're approaching it. And that way, some of those utility capabilities will get a lot more efficient. We'll be able to grow in a way which is lower cost, create much more clear accountabilities around the performance of each of those platforms, but also potentially either acquire platform capabilities from third parties mm-hmm. or offer yep. Optus's platform capabilities as well as a third party. Uh, and so that's the pathway that we're working through. Interesting. And I completely subscribe to your vision as well. Now, going a bit back into more of your overall philosophy, a new CIO comes in. It's the first time he's doing a, a C-level thing. What will be some of the advices you can give him for his new role? Listen. Yeah, listen a lot. Um, explore the business um, to avoid sort of tech for technology's sake. So we really try to get close to the customers of the organization, get close to the business, what really matters, get close to your own tech teams and just listen. Don't be in a rush to act, try to listen and really formulate your ideas. Be vulnerable in terms of validating then your thinking on the way through. Don't be scared to be an extrovert with your thinking and share it and and seek feedback around it. I think um, bringing different industry points of view to bear is really valuable as well. So if you're coming into a new role, I'm sure there's a lot of really interesting and applicable things from one's past that you can bring to bear as well. Uh, and then listen to your team to understand motivations as well, what really matters to people, why they're there, what are they looking to achieve, to ensure that when you are then in a place to act, that you can do that in a way that's got a personal alignment to the team at hand as well and really engender that discretionary effort from your team through them understanding how this relates to their purpose. So back to people, I guess. Yeah, 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 you're absolutely right. And thanks for sharing. I think that listening is indeed uh, something that 
is so underestimated and so valuable on the other end. Now, going back to your junior days, um, would you suggest to a new student to go to study bridges or technology? (laughs) Yeah, certainly study technology. You know, one way or another, everything's software. It's becoming more and more true. I think it's a skill that has endless opportunities and just see those opportunities growing. In fact, my own son studied software engineering for a little bit, for about a year. He didn't really enjoy it, so he dropped out and um, picked up music management, so mm. the, commu- the um, commercial side of the music industry. And I can now see my son bring the two pieces back together and really interested in platforms for collaboration. And so even when my son wanted to get away from software, it's catching back up with him. So yeah. I just think it's innate in society these days, in the fabric of society, the technology is there and it's just going to be a growing part yep. of being there as well. Yeah, fully agree. Another kind of uh, personal question, how during the years, what was the way to bridge between work-life balance? My wife would probably suggest I got a lot to learn about this as well. Certainly occasionally reflecting on what really matters to you. And not not too long ago, I laid out basically a tree of what matters to Mark, what matters to Mark about being a father, about being a husband, about my own development um, professionally, and then being able to relate back to that. How am I going on being a father? Well, I'm, you know, two out of five because I haven't spent enough time doing something. And just being able to force back into one's consciousness this sort of understanding of where am I at, how am I going, am I being true to what I want or have I been caught back up in the avalanche of different professional things, work things. So that's been really helpful to try to be much more conscious about where I spend time. Did it help you also to change priorities? Yeah, it did, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So um, through doing that, really did reset the balance. Uh, Probably where I failed is I thought I'd pick up a musical instrument and develop myself, so I haven't managed to do that at a moment at this point in time. And also um, have probably dropped a bit of exercise and and blamed COVID for COVID pounds, but I'm sure if I really tried harder, there would have been a way. But it certainly did help and um, something that I did pull out every six months or so to see how I'm going. Very nice. If you were to give... A young kid that starts his career in technology, few advices, what will they be? I think it is important to think beyond the job that you're stepping into or looking to step into and think about the organization and think about the culture of the organization. Can you have a career there, not just a job? What's the type of mission that you'd be up for? within the organization. So I think that choosing the organization that you're part of is really important. And I I do worry that um, in sort of world of sort of instant gratification, the youth today look for the job, not the organization or the career. And I think folks on that's really important. I think looking for organizations where there's a great network of young professionals in them as well, whether it's where are the systems and the processes, the capabilities, the networks in place to really help, then uh, 
could sort of flourish up through the ranks is really important. I think organisations where there's a meritocracy rather than a bureaucracy is important, where talent can be elevated based on merit. And then um, maybe last but not least, organisations, they've got a culture where failure is okay. You know, learning through getting things a bit wrong is a great way to learn. It's probably where I've had my most telling lessons. It's not through what I got right, but what I got through wrong. Then being able to carve out a career path within an organisation with a great culture, with lots of opportunity, where you can learn and learn and learn and learn and learn would be my advice to someone starting out today. Perfect. You've mentioned failure. Can you share with us either a failure or a mistake that you've made and what you learned from it? I may not get into the details too much. I was running a large data transformation initiative. It was a program that hadn't been set up for success. And if you think about maybe the five golden rules of program execution, this had broken all five of them, if not more. I really wanted to prove that I could get it done, that I, you know, I'm a good manager, I can, I'm a good leader, I can get this done, rather than calling the project as being broken. You know, probably didn't have the courage to call the initiative as being broken. You know, I was probably a bit youthfully arrogant or naive about it being broken. And, uh, and so that initiative did get to a point where it was just irrefutably in a state where it needed to be reset. And then we went down that path and reset it and and uh, my superiors at the time were great in letting me know that this was a failure, if you like, but a failure from which you've learned and we've learned and everything else. So it was really well received by mm-hmm. the organisation mm-hmm. as being that. And uh, really learnt from that that if it doesn't look right, if it doesn't smell right, it's probably not right. Squinting at it and hoping it's okay is not a method, it's not a recipe for success. Uh, sometimes you just need to call it and have the courage to do so. So very true. And, and for me, it like uh, kind of encapsulated all honesty and yet being true to your values yeah. are so vital in the way we work. Mark, I want to thank you very much for taking part of the, this episode. For you, it's the first time in Israel. I hope next time for me, it will be the first time in Australia. It was a pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much. Love being here with the team and... Thank you for having me over and for our conversation. Loved every second. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Future of Tech. If you like what you heard and want more, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And if you have any comments or questions, feel free to write to our host, Avishai Sharlin, directly on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.